Hey, RCC, so good to see all of you. Um, hey, I hope you enjoyed that extra hour of sleep, um, unless you have a dog or a little kid, and you just had an extra hour of frustration, but uh, you all look really awake. Quick quick question, how many of you, uh, and be honest, you're in church, uh, all of our locations, Chip the Blunstown, we're watching you. H- how many of you uh, had a cup of coffee this morning already? Okay, yeah, a lot of adults in the room. How many of you had uh, more than one? Anybody have five? Wow, you're the ones I want to be worried about. I just was curious if you stormed the stage or whatever because you're all hopped up, you know, I just want to know where you're at. Um, yeah, I, I like coffee, um, but I got to be honest, the first time I ever went to uh, Starbucks, have you ever been here? First time I went to Starbucks was not such a great experience. I, I didn't like grow up drinking coffee because like I was a child, right? So you don't really give kids coffee very often. Uh, my mom and dad would drink it. I, in hindsight, don't know that I would call it coffee. Uh, they had these Folgers crystals, no offense if you love that. Um, but they would scoop this dry stuff and then put hot water and stir it up and go, mmm, coffee. And then they'd put this white powder in it and say, this is our cream. And I always thought, I don't think that's real food. But anyway, um, so they would drink that in the morning. And then when I was like a little kid, like kindergartner, right, uh, I would be getting ready for school. And every once in a while, not a lot, but every once in a while, my mom would say, hey, do you want a sip of my coffee? Like when it was very, you know, kind of towards the bottom of the cup and not hot anymore. I, I did that one time. I remember I took a sip one time and I was like, this is so gross. I just had Fruity Pebbles and you ruined it with this disgusting, sludgy, fake, whatever this crystal thing is. It's so gross, right? So I just grew up with this thought that coffee was like not that great. Uh, And I got in college. I drank a little in college. I'm called coffee. I drank a little (laughs) coffee in college, Um, but always at Waffle House. Be very clear, children, don't drink. Say, say no to drugs. Um, didn't, uh, I go to Waffle House, and I was really not preparing in college very well. Another lesson, if you read the textbook before you go to class, it's amazing how easy school can be. I, I didn't know that, so I never read. And so I would go to Waffle House at, you know, midnight, one, two in the morning, and I would drink coffee as I was studying trying to stay awake for the test I was going to take in eight hours. I would just stay up all night, you know. Um, And to be honest, like, I would say, oh, yeah, I drink coffee, but really, I drank cream and sugar. And there's, like, a little coffee in it. Um, Every time the the, the person would come by and go, can I fill up your cup? I'm like, no, I got the perfect amount of, like, six tablespoons of sugar and a lot of cream. I don't want any more coffee in this, right? So uh, to say I drank coffee, not fair. Now, here's where it got to be a problem. I graduated from college. And I got one of those adult jobs. And I, I didn't know this, but I showed up at work my first day. And you know this if you work in an office or whatever. Everybody goes to the break room. And everybody starts today with a cup of coffee. I didn't know that. So I, I got to, you know, my desk. Nobody's there. I'm like, well, did I, are we, is it a holiday? Like, what's happening? So I go down to the break room to get, like, a water or something. And they're all in there, all the adults with their coffees. And I remember thinking, well, I want to be an adult. And... And I'm going to fit in. So I got my cup and went over to the hot water and pretended I was getting coffee. And I put hot chocolate in it because that's what I really liked. And then put a top on it. And I walked around with my hot chocolate all day like I was like a real adult. Now, what I didn't realize is that you don't just do that once. You know this, adults. You, you have the morning break coffee. And then you have like mid-morning coffee. And then you have lunch coffee. And then you have mid-afternoon coffee, part one and two. And then sometimes you get it on the way home, right? So I was like loaded up with hot chocolate by the end of my first day. I mean, I've never had more hot chocolate in my life. So fast forward a couple of years, big into the hot chocolate. My friends say, do you want to go to Starbucks for this meeting? I'm like, 
Yeah, I'm sure they have hot chocolate, right? I mean, it's a coffee place. I'm sure they make accommodations for people like me. So I show up to Starbucks. Now, granted, I've never been in one of these confusing places before. So you go to Starbucks, and, and you, if you've been to Starbucks, just remember your first time. I mean, you have never felt so stupid in your life. You, you walk in, and you look at the menu board. There's nothing in English. You're, you're trying to decide what you want, and what size you want, and none of it makes sense. Now, what's even worse at Starbucks is that they assume that everybody in line knows what they're doing. So instead of getting up to the register, have you noticed this, the barista people start yelling three, four back in line, hey, what can I get started for you? And, and I'm terrified. They did this to the person in front of me, and I'm like, uh-oh, I don't know what I want. I'm listening to the people ahead of me. They're ordering, I, I, it's not even English. I don't know what they're saying, but it's something, and they're all happy about it, right? So they, the barista looks at me, what can I get for you? Well, I don't wanna say hot chocolate with six people listening, right? I wanna be a real man. And so I said, I'm still thinking, um, can I wait till I get to the register so I can whisper? Is that okay, you know? I didn't say that, but that's what I was wanting to do. So I just said, hold on, I'm still deciding, you know? So eventually I get to the register. Go to the register, first time there. Um, she says, well, well, you know, what can I get for you? I said, I, do you have like hot chocolate? She goes, oh yeah, we, we have hot chocolate. I said, okay, I, I just want a hot chocolate. Um, she says, well, what size do you want? I was like, I, I, you know, like a, the medium ones. She goes, well, we don't really have medium, we have grande. I said, well, that seems way too big. I, I don't want like a gallon of hot chocolate, like a grande. I think that's Spanish for giant. I, I, don't, I don't know. I just, can you give me like a medium one? She goes, well, medium is grande. I said, well, what is a small one? Small one's a tall one. So tall sounds really big too. I, I don't want that. She goes, well, you don't want the venti. And I was like, I don't know what that means, you know? And then she says, and we also have trinta. And I, that's definitely a made up word. There's, there's no Greek, Latin, whatever, you know? I said, just surprise me. Just stop asking questions, just hot chocolate. She says, would you like it whipped? I was like, I don't want anybody to be whipped. I don't want any punishments. I, I just want a hot chocolate, right? So she asked me something else, and I, I, I do. I remember saying, well, I'll, if I'll give you $20. Will you just stop asking questions? Like, I don't know any of these answers. These people back here are the real adults. They are ready to order. This is embarrassing. So I gave her money. She, I started to walk away. She goes, oh, I'm sorry, what is your name? Now, here's where I really messed up. I didn't know what was gonna happen. Had I known, I would have made up a name, right? <laughs> what is your name? I would have just made something up, right? But I didn't know. So I said, oh, Gavin, very proudly, right? Because I feel like I'd accomplished something. I ordered a something, you know? So I go over with my friends. My friends are over there. There's four guys, you know? They, they've already grabbed a table because I've been up here forever. They have a table, and I notice what starts happening, and I begin getting worried. They start calling out names. My friend Chad was with me. They said, French press for Chad. I remember, I looked at Chad. I was like, ooh, that sounds fancy. Like, what is, what is that, you know? Um, they call something else out with all these words for my friend, you know, uh, uh, Bill that was with me. And, and then I'm like, uh-oh, I know where this is going, you know. And sure enough, a couple of minutes later, I'm sitting there with my friends, and <laughs> this person says, grande hot cocoa for Gavin. <laughs> and I, I, I looked around, I was like, what a loser. <laughs> like, who's getting the grande hot cocoa with no whip, by the way? Like, so after about five minutes, I walk up there, like, make sure nobody's looking, and I get my coffee, and, uh, or get my hot chocolate, and I go sit back down. You know, my friends are laughing. They're like, real smooth, right? What are you, like, four, you know? 
I had the kids meal drink, you know, at Starbucks. Now, now here's the thing, right? We, we have all felt that before. I mean, maybe not at Starbucks, but we have all felt that thing, right, where everybody's looking at you, even though they're not, you think they are. You feel so embarrassed. You feel like everybody's laughing, right? Everybody's pointing. Everybody's like, look at the loser with the hot chocolate. You've all felt that, right? And I think what's interesting is why we feel that. Like, why do we feel that? Mark Twain wrote this amazing uh, quote. I love this quote. He says that uh, man is the only animal that blushes. Ever notice that? Like, you've never been to the zoo and the monkey's like embarrassed, you know? And they should be embarrassed. They do embarrassing things, you know? They're never embarrassed. No animal is embarrassed. But there's something about us, the human condition, there's something in us that just feels embarrassed, that feels like we don't want to be uh, made fun of, that doesn't, we don't want to be seen doing something silly or dumb or stupid. And it, it evolves into our life pretty quickly. Have you ever seen like uh, two-year-olds? Like uh, a two-year-old, music comes on, they immediately start dancing. I saw a two-year-old this morning, almost two-year-old. Um, music is playing in here. It was just the background music, right? And she's like, you know, now not on rhythm. She's not quite there yet, but she's like doing her foot, you know, whatever. Now, when's the last time you as an adult heard music and just started behaving that way? I felt a little dumb just doing that, you know? Why is that, Right? Because there's something in us. There's just something about the human condition. We don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to feel, and the word we're going to talk about in a minute is ashamed. Now, here's the deal. Like, now I'm a real adult. Like, I'll go to Starbucks all the time. I know exactly what a grande upside-down caramel macchiato with coconut milk is, and sometimes with light foam if I'm feeling kind of frisky, right? Like, I totally know all that now. I know all that. I understand it. But I didn't at one point, and it made me feel so ashamed. Have you ever felt ashamed? I know you have. I don't want you to like think back to all the times, but gosh, man, like we have all felt ashamed. Shame is, here's kind of the best way to define it. Shame is a self-conscious emotion. It means that no one makes you have it. You feel it. It's a self-induced kind of emotion or feeling created from feelings of, and these are important words, inadequacy. That was me at Starbucks. I felt inadequate. I felt like a toddler in an adult body trying to order a coffee, right? Unworthiness, unworthiness, dishonor, or regret. Now think about it just for a second. How many times in your life have you felt inadequate, unworthy? How many times have you felt dishonored, right? How many times have you had a regret? And your response was, man, I feel so ashamed of that. I feel so ashamed I made that decision. I feel so ashamed I behaved that way. I feel ashamed that I did that. Now, you don't feel that way at first. Somebody usually says, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, right? I mean, that's what parents say all the time to kids. And you know why? You know why parents say this? Not because they've taken a lot of psychology classes, right? They, they say this because they know that shame is such a powerful motivator. They know that shame is such a powerful emotion. And it changes behavior. When people feel ashamed, it doesn't change their heart but it can change their behavior. And the reason is because shame says, I'm not something enough. I'm not smart enough. Shame says, I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not pretty enough or strong enough or tall enough or rich enough, right? Shame is always about what you aren't enough of. You know, guilt and shame are different. Guilt says you did something wrong. Shame says you are something wrong. Guilt can be a powerful emotion that helps us grow. Shame is an even more powerful emotion that helps us 
forget who we really are. We begin to adopt what we are not enough of. That's why shame is so powerful. And shame just festers. And over time, that festering of shame turns into a significant problem in our hearts and and in our lives. And because shame is such a powerful emotion, none of us want to feel it. When someone says you ought to be ashamed of yourself or when you do something that makes you feel ashamed, that emotion is so powerful. We don't want to feel it. So you know what we do? We, We blame. That's really why blame happens. Blame is what causes, I mean, shame is what causes blame. When you feel ashamed, you don't want to feel that. So instead of feeling ashamed, what we typically do is blame somebody, blame something, right? We're constantly saying things to put that shame on somebody else, to excuse why we did what we did. I mean, how many times, right, in a given day do we hear people say things like, well, I mean, it's not my fault. I, I know that I did it, but it's not my fault. It's not my fault, because they feel what? Ashamed, right? Or they say, well, she started it. I mean, how many kids, right? Kids walk around, he started it. I finished it, by the way, but he started it. She started it. I I didn't even want to do it, but she started it. Or he made me do it. I I didn't want to do it. I I wasn't planning to do it. I I was planning to be a really good person today, but then that person at the four-way stop gave me a finger, and it wasn't like a pointer one, and... They started it, I finished it, he made me do it, she made me do it, it made me do it. I'm working with a company right now, and they're in a manufacturing company, and one of the things they're fighting in their company culture is dealing with shame. Because when somebody messes up this complicated silicone recipe that they're making for a customer, it's very complicated. They're like baking, you know, silicone. It's very interesting. But they have to follow this recipe. It's so easy for them when it doesn't, uh, the product doesn't come out perfectly. You know what they all want to do? They want to blame something. The machine didn't get it right, or somebody didn't clean it, so therefore it was, right? Or he disrupted me with his music while I was trying to follow the recipe. I mean, it's so hard for them to say, yeah, I I messed this up. And so you know what we do, right? We, We try to eliminate all of our shame. We try to eliminate all of our shame by casting blame because we don't want to feel shame. It's such a terrible emotion. We'll do anything to avoid it. So we just blame other people. We blame other things, you know. But, but here's what we might not realize, and this is so important. Here's what we might not realize. Blame doesn't remove shame. If you blame somebody or blame something, you still know that you're the one who did it. You still know that you are the one responsible or behaving irresponsibly. Like, you know It doesn't remove the shame, but you know what it does do? It actually does remove something else. It it removes something that can be very helpful, very powerful, that can help us grow in our life. It's so interesting when you uh, read the book of Genesis, very first book in the Bible written by Moses, when you read the book of Genesis, um, we, we actually see the beginnings of shame and blame coming to fruition. I mean, it took like a week for people to start feeling shame and then turn around and instead of owning, start blaming. Uh, in the book of Genesis, now just quick caveat, um, some of you probably have read the book of Genesis and you believe it happened exactly as it did. If you don't believe it happened exactly, that's okay. Uh, it doesn't actually matter for this because the moral of the story is exactly the same. 
and God was in charge of the creation process, or however it actually happened. So the moral of this story is exactly the same. Here's kind of, I want to show you how this whole thing gets started and how quickly shame and blame enter into the human condition. Okay, you ready? Genesis, this is in chapter uh, two. I mean, chapter one, uh, one verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind, it's gonna be man and woman, right? In our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So just really quick, God basically decides after he's created everything else, uh, the universe, he speaks light into existence. I mean, it's an incredible process. And it's all good. He says it's all good. And then he says, now we're gonna create something else that's gonna be really good. The first thing that he's gonna create in the image of God, in his image. And that's us, humanity, man and woman. Uh, You know, the elephants and the giraffes and the flowers, I mean, they're all neat, but none of them are in the image of God. But we are, which means that we were the pinnacle of his creative process. We are the pinnacle of, of creation, and he says, not only are you the pinnacle, you're gonna rule over all these other things. Like, you're, you, I, I'm creating you in my image, and I'm gonna let you rule over all this stuff. So, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blesses them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it, another word for ruling over it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God continues, he says to them, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. So back then, everybody was a vegetarian. I, I don't know what to say about that other than it feels real disappointing, but Maybe back then it was different, or maybe that was a good thing. I don't know. You know, I really love chicken, so I feel like that had been a problem, but whatever, okay? Maybe our world was different back then in the garden. All right, so God continues. He says, and, and uh, to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. So, quick kind of recap. God creates everything. He creates people as the pinnacle of his creation. He, he, he speaks life into everything. And then he looks at man and looks at woman and he says, you're unique though. You're not like all the other things that I've created. You're very unique. Everything that has the breath of life in it, everything that's alive, you are unique. And I want you to rule over all of it. I think sometimes we miss this in the creation story, that the first thing, the first thing that God gave humanity was responsibility. Think about this for a minute. The very first thing God gave to people was responsibility. There was, if you know the whole story, one rule, one rule, hundreds of responsibilities, but one rule. And the one rule was don't eat the fruit from this one tree. That's it. I mean, it just followed one rule. But look at all these responsibilities. Now, this is a whole other message for another day, but the reason we have so many rules now is because we aren't responsible. Responsible people don't need a lot of rules. People who are responsible don't need a lot of rules. Responsible countries don't need a lot of rules. We have a lot of rules. What does that tell you about our country? We're not that responsible as a people. We have speed limits, why? Because if we didn't, one of you would drive like such a maniac that you'd kill all of us. That's why. It takes one irresponsible person for us now to have rules. That's how it works. 
But back in the very beginning, back in the very beginning, one rule, hundreds, thousands of responsibilities. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but God actually made you, God made me to subdue. God made you to subdue. There's a part of you that even feels that now. There, there's a reason that when you cut your grass or you, know, you do something, you make something, you stand back and you go, wow, that feels good. Like I, 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 I accomplished. Now you don't ever stand back and go, I subdued that grass. Like you don't say that, but you do step back and you, you kind of feel good about it because you ruled over something in a positive way, in a healthy way. This is so important. God, God made us all. God made us to be responsible and, and he has given us a lot of responsibilities. God made you to be responsible and he has given us so many responsibilities. The story continues, and this is a weird little thing. Um, if it was a comedy club, we'd go way further into this, but there's children in the room, so no worries, okay? Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Okay, um, I will say one thing, just kids, you'll appreciate this. You know, when you uh, have a kid, you know, isn't it odd when they're like one, you know, one and a half, like they love taking baths, right? Baths are super fun. And then they get out of the bath and what do they want to do? So they want to run around naked. Like they, you know, you were like, got to put a diaper on them. Or you want to put the jammies with the feet on them and all, you know, boy, they don't want it, right? And they are giggling and they are running and laughing just completely naked, right? Now, <laughs> imagine if a 40-year-old did that. <laughs> Sorry, don't imagine, that's getting a little weird, but you know what I'm saying, Right? Like, why? Why do we not do that? I can give you lots of good reasons, you know, but what is that, you know? Well, the answer is shame, okay? The answer is shame. So as the story goes, and a lot of you probably know the story, as the story goes, all these responsibilities, there's just one rule, that's it, one rule, lots of responsibilities. Well, they decide to break the rule. They decide to break the rule, and everything is broken. Everything changes. Now we need a lot of rules because people behaved irresponsibly. We, we kind of read about how this happens in the third chapter of Genesis. Now, mind you, we are in the third chapter of the entire Bible. That's how long it took for this whole thing to go downhill, okay? It was like a week. It was a really good week, but it was like a week, okay? So, <laughs> Moses writes this, that when the woman saw, so Eve is with Adam, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree that they're not supposed to eat was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, a snake one day came up. Again, this is hard to believe, but it probably happened something similarly. A, a serpent came up, and it was Satan, and says, did God tell you you couldn't eat from that tree? She says, yeah, we're not supposed to. And he goes like, ah, you can eat of the tree. You can even touch the tree. Did he tell you you can't touch it? And that is not what God said. But that's kind of how she gets tricked. And then the evil says to Eve, well, he didn't want you to eat it because if you do, you're gonna be like him. And she says, oh, I think I'd like to be like him. Maybe that's why. Maybe he's trying to keep something from me. So she eats from the tree. So she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. This is the part of this story that I love and hate. Like, it isn't like Eve wandered over there and Adam's like out doing what he's supposed to do. You know, and Eve wanders over and the snake says, you should have an apple. She's like, oh yeah. I mean, Adam is like right there watching a snake talk to Eve. 
You know, and Eve's, I mean, can you imagine this conversation? Eve's like, hey, what do you think? He's like, I don't know, man, go, you go first. Like, let's see what happens. You know, like, Adam's being so irresponsible. Like, he's just standing there. What a loser, right? But that's, isn't that what we all do? I mean, it's kind of how we all behave. So she eats the apple. So does, or whatever the fruit was. You know, we always say an apple. I don't know. She eats at the tree, and then Adam does too. Then, then their eyes, the eyes of both of them were opened. And, and think about this. And they realized that they were naked. Up until this point, they've been like a one and a half year old running through the Garden of Eden, not even noticing that they were naked. They didn't even know, I uh, have a word for that. They didn't feel anything about not being clothed. But now, now they feel, and here's the key word, exposed. Now they feel exposed. The reason we don't run around naked as adults, well, one, we live in society, but two, because we don't feel comfortable being that exposed. We don't wanna be that seen. And by the way, when you bump into somebody who is more vulnerable, that is more open, I mean, not that open, but you know, like more open, we don't walk away typically and go, wow, that's beautiful. We walk away and think, though, that should be committed probably. Like, there's a problem with that person, right? And they should put a shirt on, right? Like, that's what we think. But not back then, because they were not afraid of being exposed, but now they are. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They made some clothes to cover up so they wouldn't be exposed. <laughs> then, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He, God does this all the time. I mean, it's so hard to imagine, but God literally walking in the garden of Eden, hanging out with these people, doing life with them, like a small group, right? Like the best small group ever, you and God, like it's awesome. And they're always together. They're always hanging out and sharing openly, right? But this time, they hid from God. Instead of running to God, they run away. They, they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I love this. God is, I mean, he knows where they are. He's God. Can you imagine playing hide and seek with God? Like, what a boring game, you know? Like, God counts to 10 and goes, behind the rock. You know, like, but they don't, I mean, they're afraid. They're ashamed. They're ashamed. And so they're hiding from God. So he answered. He answered. Adam answers. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. I, I, I realized that I'm naked. I, hid, I had to hide. I'm exposed. Then God said, who told you that you were naked? He, basically, God is like, I've known you've been naked the whole time. Who told you that? How did you discover that? Because that isn't a good thing. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten? He asked a question. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Adam feels so contrite, right? You know, Adam responds, yeah, yeah, I did. I, I take full responsibility for my actions. Do with me as you will, but leave Eve out of this. She is innocent. The people who are laughing have read the Bible, right? That is not what Adam said. That is not what Adam said. Hey, here's what Adam actually said. The woman you put here with me, by the way, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. I didn't want to be rude. I mean, good grief, God. I, I didn't, it's not my fault. She started it. It's her fault. She did it. I mean, I was there, but I had my back turned and I turned around and she's nibbling on the fruit. And there was a snake talking, which was odd, but 
I don't know. Like, it's her fault. God, to be honest, I don't know who should be responsible. Anybody but me. You created her. I didn't even ask for her. Like, now, if I'm honest, when I woke up and you made her, I was like, wow, that's awesome, you know, but, and she was naked. Like, it was all good. But, but I didn't ask for her. I was perfectly happy. Hanging out with the trees. I was naming the animals. I mean, I found a horse. You can ride horses. Did you know that? Like, I like, I'm loving life. And then you messed it all up. God, this is more your fault or her fault. I don't know whose fault it is. It's not mine. I'm gonna stand over here. Eve, you, God, you guys work it out. Decide who's in trouble. That's what Adam does. I mean, it's unbelievable. What does he do? He feels ashamed. So what does he do? Blames. Blames everybody and anything he can to get out of that feeling. And so then God turns to Eve, right? So then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. It's not my fault. I didn't want to eat it, but the talking snake said I should. So, I mean, when a snake talks to you, do you even have a choice? You know? So I, I ate. It's just incredible. It's so unbelievable. I mean, the very first response, the very first response is still our first response, isn't it? Like, their first response when they felt ashamed is no different than how we respond today. Uh, where, where there is blame, we often find shame. Almost every time that you see somebody blaming, it's being fueled by some feeling of shame. And where there is shame, we often find irresponsibility. Irresponsibility is where we mostly end up putting ourselves in a position to feel ashamed. And to get rid of that feeling of, uh, of shame, we, we blame. But as I said earlier, blaming doesn't fix the problem. Blaming doesn't remove any of the shame. If anything, it just makes you feel worse. Because now maybe somebody else is in trouble, but you still know what you did. Maybe somebody else is paying a consequence, but you still know that you are irresponsible. I mean, this is such an important part of the creation story. I think it might be one of the most important parts of the creation story. God, God made us to be responsible, as I said earlier, and has given us so many responsibilities. And even though we are a long way removed from the Garden of Eden, that truth is still true. That, that truth is still exactly as true as it was back then. Now, granted, we have a lot more rules now, and we have to have them because we're all so irresponsible. But it doesn't mean that we have to be. And it doesn't mean that God still hasn't given you responsibilities. I, I, there are so many responsibilities that we have. Uh, in fact, let me kind of break this down in two different ways. Um, if you are not a Christian, you're not a Jesus follower, you're not a church person, I, I'm so glad you're here too. I don't know why you're here. Uh, I mean, maybe you were invited Maybe you're getting a free lunch out of this or had an extra hour and you were bored. I don't know. Like, I'm so glad that you're here, you know? But, but if you're not a follower of Jesus and you don't believe any of this stuff, uh, here's what I can tell you. You can take away all of the stuff that you don't believe and this is still a principle that will work for you. And, and here's the reality of, of what you really need to think about. Why should you be responsible if you're not a Christian? Here's why. You can't improve what you don't own. It's just a principle of life. You can go to a secular therapist if you're having trouble they're gonna ask you about your father and your mother and all that, they always do, and then they're gonna eventually tell you that if you wanna fix something, you have to name it and claim it. If you can't own it, you can't improve it. Take the God and Jesus part of it, the whole thing out. Take the creation story out. This is just true. So every time you blame, 
Every time you blame, you lose your power to change. That's why you should be more responsible. If you're, take Jesus out. You should be just, as a human, you should just choose responsibility. Because every time you choose to blame, you lose the opportunity to change. Nothing gets better. In fact, it gets worse because it festers in you and you affect somebody else every time you blame. But if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, this goes way deeper for us. Why should you be responsible if you're a follower of Jesus? Well, you can't be who God created you to be when you live irresponsibly. If you're a follower of Jesus, it is impossible for you to be all that God created you to be if you are living irresponsibly. God made you, as I've said, to be responsible, and he has given you so many responsibilities. Think about this for a minute. Just as a Jesus follower, think of how that should affect all of the areas of your life that you should be responsible for. We all have financial responsibilities. And when we think of it through the lens of faith, it changes how we should behave financially. There's a reason we talk about generosity a lot as Christians. And the reason is that it releases the grip on our life. Getting more doesn't help us feel more peace financially. Have you ever heard anyone say, I finally got to the point I had enough money that I'm not worried anymore? Of course you haven't, right? I mean, how much is enough? A little bit more, that's the answer. So how do you combat that? You behave responsibly with the resources God has given you. Oh, and by the way, everything that you have is God's anyway. You're not an owner of any of it. God owns it all. And he's asking you, this is so important to understand, he is asking you to be responsible with it. He has given it to you for you to steward, for you to manage. Imagine just for a second, imagine that you win the lottery or you get your dream promotion and it has all this salary that comes with it. So you hire a money manager, you hire a financial advisor. You know, when you interview two of them and the first guy tells you all about his portfolio and how he manages billions of dollars for people. And you're like, he seems like he knows what he's doing. Then you go to the next guy and, 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 and you know, you, you talk to him and he shows up in flip-flops. And he was like, I just got off my boat. You know, I, I, I bought my boat with all of your commissions. Thanks for investing with me. And I mean, I don't really know how things are going. I don't really pay attention. Uh, you know, I just take the money and, you know, whatever happens will happen. But, you know, whatever, you should give me your money. I mean, would you ever invest with that guy? Of course not, right? Because you want somebody to manage your resources well. This is what God is asking you to do. He's given you resources and he wants you to manage them, to be responsible with them. Same thing with your physical body, you know, like that third trip at the Golden Corral Buffet. I just think God's going, like, he may be saying that the first time you go. I don't know, but like the first trip, but like there's a reality. God gave you a body and he wants you to be responsible with it. Why? Because it's really hard for God to do powerful work through you if you're unhealthy, physically. It's a big deal. Uh, he's given you work. He's given you skills and abilities, not for just you. He gave each of us these unique skills and abilities so that you, so that you can move the kingdom forward through them, so that you can help people discover God's love for them as you use those skills and abilities. It's always about something bigger than you. We should be responsible with those things. Uh, he's given you relational responsibilities. We could go really deep into this one. We won't, but just for a quick second. Um, relationally, we have such a responsibility to love others the way that Jesus has loved us, which, by the way, means unconditionally. 
This may be a little hard for some of us to hear, but I think it's helpful. And if you've messed this up, there's grace and God can redeem and restore all sorts of things, right? He can restore everything. He can resurrect everything. But some of us have been so irresponsible with our relationships. To, to the point, some of us have stood at an altar and made promises to somebody that then we just walked away and unpromised. That's irresponsible. It's irresponsible. It's not God's best for you. It's not what God designed us to do. And being responsible in our relationships is so important. And I'll tell you why. Because when we act responsibly in relationships, other people take note. And the only way, the only way to understand unconditional love is to see it on display. The only way to understand grace is to feel it and experience it. When I do weddings, this is part of the ceremony I do. When I, when I do weddings, you know, I always give like a little message, but my little message is always about why do you need to get married? Because you don't need it to have companionship. I mean, I had a guy live with me for a while. We watched ESPN every night. It was amazing. Like, I didn't need to get married for companionship. Um, we don't need it for procreation. I mean, you know, there's kids in the room, but you know that. So we don't need it for pro. So why do we need it? Why do we even need marriage? And I think the reason is we need to experience unconditional love with a human so that we can understand God's unconditional love for us. I, I don't know if there's any better context than a marriage for someone to be so difficult and you have to love them anyway. For someone to not deserve your love, but you made a promise to never leave and never forsake, and so you do. I think it teaches something about God. I think that's why it's so important. We should be responsible with relationships of all kind. Okay, you guys done with the pressing? Okay, no more needling. Parenting, we should be responsible. We should be responsible parents in every area, including spiritual we should be responsible. I mean, I know that I'm a professional Christian, so you expect me to say this, but I think you should have your kids at church every single week, every single week. And here's why. When they're 35 and they are married and they have a child, you will not regret, you will not regret all the weeks you spent sitting on bleachers on Sunday morning watching your kid not make it to the Major League Baseball. You won't miss that. What you will wish is that they had a more solid spiritual foundation. That's what you're gonna want for them. I used to work in student ministry. <laughs> I can't even tell you how many parents would come to me with their 14-year-old and go, hey, can you fix my 14-year-old? And I would, I couldn't say this, but what I wanted to say is, oh yeah, sure, let's get in our time machine and go back to when they were four. Because that's where we screwed it up. So we should be responsible with our children. We should have neighborly responsibilities. And this is the hardest one. Neighbors are the worst, man. But we were called to be responsible. We should be responsible with loving others. We should be responsible with serving others, you know? We have so many responsibilities. And here's the reality. We are most fulfilled. We are most fulfilled when we have responsibility and we behave responsibly. I have never met a happy, irresponsible person in my life. Not once have I met a happy, irresponsible person. I have met loads of joyful people. And the reason they're joyful is because they take responsibility. They take responsibility for their actions. They take responsibility for their resources. They take responsibility for what they've been given. And listen, the consequences for irresponsibility are really significant. I mean, as I mentioned before, but when you blame and cast you know, your, your shame on somebody else, it doesn't remove the shame for you. The consequences are so significant. It creates more consequences for you when you do that. So, so here's kind of the, the, the final question for us today. God has given us all of these responsibilities. God has given you so many responsibilities. Here's the question. How are you responding to that? How are you being 
responsible. I suspect across all of our churches that you're probably pretty responsible in some areas. If you're like me, there's probably an area or two that you've just let slide. What would it look like for you to be a responsible person? What would it look like for you when you feel shame, allow that to be a red flag that you need to own something, not blame something? I wonder how that would change things. I, I think it would change your life. I think it might make you happier, more joyful, <laughs> maybe even better than that. I think it could change everybody around you. I think it could change your home, it could change your workplace, might even change your neighborhood. I think it could change a community. It might even change the world if we all decided to do that. And we can't make everybody do it. If we did, we wouldn't need any more rules. But you can make yourself do it. You can become more responsible. And even if that's the only thing that happens, it's probably worth it. Can I pray for us? Father God, thank you for giving us all these responsibilities. And in a way, it's like, you know, we always say things like, well, who's responsible for this? We don't wanna say us, but the reality is that when we do say us and we behave responsibly, our lives are so much better. So God, I just pray that you'll give us the wisdom um, to see the areas of our life where we need to behave more responsibly. And then God, allow us to, when we feel any sort of shame, just allow us to realize it's a red flag that maybe there's an area where we're being irresponsible. And instead of trying to blame something, maybe we'll just take ownership of it. So God, just thank you for the opportunities we have to manage what you've given us. And I pray that we do that really, really well. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Hey, uh, just really quick on your way out. Next week, Paul's back starting a brand new series. Uh, it's gonna be amazing. You don't wanna miss it. And you guys have just had a huge four season. And so next week, you're gonna celebrate all the things that have happened during four, the love, serving, and giving. So don't miss next week. It's gonna be so much fun to celebrate. Uh, and I hope to see you at some point in the future if Paul ever invites me back. All right, love you guys. See you later. <laughs>